0: Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTB. This week's message is brought to us by Joyce Dalrymple, a member of our teaching team. She's preaching on the second commandment from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. So I want to begin by telling you a little bit about my family. I've spoken before, and so you know that I have... Both biological kids I have two girl, uh, girls by birth and one girl by adoption. And one of the things that's different um, with having both biological kids and an adopted kid is the bonding process is different. So when you have a child by birth, um, you start bonding from the womb and through nursing. And when the baby cries, they get soothed right away. When you uh, um, adopt a child, um, bonding, attachment... It happens over time, and especially if you adopt an older child who's been through neglect or abuse or trauma, it just takes a lot longer. Um, And one of the things you do as you try to form those bonds of attachment um, is obviously provide for them emotionally, food, shelter, all of those things, but you also provide structure, a rhythm to the days, and rules. Rules because you want um, your child to know Um, The family values, your family culture. What is it like to be part of your family? And also provide good boundaries that your child may know that they have a loving parent who um, is watching out for their well-being. So rules are actually really important, um, and they're a gift. Likewise, the Ten Commandments are a gift to the people of Israel. And at that point, in their history you remember they were enslaved for 430 years generation after generation had experienced depression they were immersed in this pagan egyptian culture god had miraculously just rescued them parted the red seas they're out um, in the desert Um, a pillar of cloud by day is leading them a pillar of fire at night Manna from heaven is giving them food. So they're experiencing God as a deliverer and as a provider, but they don't yet know how to relate to God, right? So the Ten Commandments are actually a way that God is showing them, how do you be part of my family? Um, So three months after the Exodus, somewhere between Egypt and the Promised Land, God instructed Moses to meet with him at mount sinai exodus chapter 19 verses 4 to 6 says this is what god is saying you yourself have seen what i did to egypt and how i carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy people. God had rescued them, and now he wants their allegiance to him to make them into his people. Notice first that God calls the people of Israel his treasured possession. Um, in Chinese, in Mandarin, often um, parents will call their babies "baobei" or "baobao." Bao. Do you know what that means? It's treasure. You're my treasure possession. You want your child to know that he or she is precious to you. That you cherish them. They're your. We're we're God's ba ba in Chinese. Um, and second, God says you are to be for me a kingdom of priests. Priests are mediators. There, the people of Israel were always meant to be a light to all of the nations. Going all the way back to Genesis. Chapter 12, um, God's promise to Abraham was that he would be a blessing to all nations. All nations would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And third, they are to be a holy people. So last week Derek talked about holiness, that the top, God's top ten are to teach the people how to be holy and set apart. They're to mirror God's character his holy character to the world and to all the nations. And that means that they have to learn how to shed the Egyptian culture that they had been immersed in and not take on the Canaanite culture um, where they were going to possess in the promised land. God is reconstituting a whole new people who would be set apart for him. And so in order to do this, in God's top 10, he's teaching them how to be in relationship with himself and how to live in community with each other. So, right, the first four commandments have to do with how to love God, and the last six commandments have to do with how to love one another. And they still hold true today. Um, So last Sunday, you covered the first commandment. I'm going to read this again. Exodus 20, verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he identifies himself not as the God, which he could have done, but he said, your God, which implies relationship. And you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because he's the one who rescued them from slavery. The Hebrews had been surrounded by people who worshipped many, many deities, polytheistic culture, and ancient cultures believed in territorial gods. Um, so they would have gods that controlled specific things. They worshiped um, gods that controlled the sun, the moon, the, stor- the storms. So if, for instance, you wanted rain, you would pray to the storm god. Or if you wanted um, to get pregnant, you would pray to the f- fertility god. Andy Stanley puts it this way in his book on grace. God is saying here in the first commandment, I want to be your one and only God because I am your one and only. I want to be your one and only because I am your one and only. Stanley says the first commandment is essentially um, about trusting God to meet all of our needs. So when we adopted Hannah, we wanted her to know that she no longer had to fend for herself. She's no longer an orphan. She doesn't have to fight for attention, um, go to wherever to meet her various needs, whoever would give her attention. We wanted her to know that now she is our child, um, that we love and care for her and want to provide for all of her needs. She doesn't have to strive for that and look for that wherever she can get it. And that bonding and that attachment that takes time is such a joyful thing to watch her over time receive our love and bond and trust us to provide for her the second commandment which is the subject of today's sermon is closely linked to the first so exodus 20 verses 4 to 6 i'm going to read it again says you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation, for those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If the first commandment can be summed up as, I am your one and only, then the second commandment um, is answering, how do we do that? And it can be summed up as, be wholly devoted to me, be wholly devoted to God. Let's unpack that line by line. So first, in verse four, it says, do not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, the earth beneath, or the waters below. Notice the three tiers of skies, land, and water here. This is a prohibition against any attempt to create any kind of statue or image that represents God. Now, you may think this is kind of a weird commandment because we're not going around making carved images of God or um, It's not something that is hard for us to, we think anyway, it's not something that's hard for us to obey, but it's very hard for the ancient people to grasp because idol worship was rampant in those days. And in pagan cultures, they would carve images which they bowed down to and sacrificed and performed various kinds of worship. So they would sacrifice um, children even, they would engage in prostitution, all associated around Worshipping these pagan gods. God did not want his people to engage in any of this. Um, he repeatedly told the people of Israel to separate themselves from the pagan nations um, because he knew that they would be tempted to do the same. Another reason for this commandment is that we can't reduce the omnipotent, omnipresent God into something that we've made with our minds or hands. God is above and beyond anything we could comprehend. We cannot control him. We cannot contain him. um, We cannot manage or manipulate him. He is not to be reduced or refashioned by our own desires. God alone is the great I am. Alan Hirsch, in his book Metanoia, said at the heart of human sin and idolatry is the desire to make god smaller and more controllable more containable it's an act of sheer grace that he shatters our small idolatrous conceptions of him and liberates us to know him more fully continuing with verse five it says you shall not bow down to them or worship them Now, again, we're not bowing down and worshiping carved images today, but our idols um, are just as powerful in their hold on our hearts. They're more subtle. The late Tim Keller wrote, In Counterfeit Gods, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe this kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is to call it worship. God created us for worship, right? We're, if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something. Um, even for people who profess they're atheists, they're unconsciously worshiping something. It's not a question of whether we're worshiping, but it's what we worship. Which is why John Calvin has written, the human heart is an idol factory. Why are our hearts idol factories? And I think it it has to do um, with, again, the way God created our hearts. We're created for love, um, for love of God. And in his book, Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen, he says the greatest trap for us is not success, popularity, or power. Um, The greatest trap is actually self-rejection. Um, Because if we feel um, like we're worthless or unlovable, if we believe that, then the seduction of success, power, and popularity um, become even more attractive. The real trap is self-rejection. And so that's why when we experience criticism or self-rejection, we go to the place of thinking, hey, that just proves that I am no good. I am not enough. I am not worthy of love. Um, if we are not filled by the love of God, if we don't know that our core identity is as His beloved, as His treasured possession, then we will fill that hole in our hearts with something else. Those idols will just come rushing in, and it's so subtle that our hearts often don't even realize what's happening. In 2015, I left practicing law Um, to go to seminary. And um, I was actually, I didn't even really like practicing law that much. (laughs) And I loved ministry. I felt a strong sense of call. Um, So I was surprised that when I did actually leave behind my career as an attorney, that I felt, um, I wrestled so much with my identity. Like, where is my value besides being a lawyer? Um, And I realized, not until I left law, that that had had a um, a particular hold on my heart that I had to derive value and significance from my career. Life transitions are actually times when I think God can, is graciously setting us um, like free from some of those idols that we may not even know that we're overly dependent upon, um, and ultimately, those other things, whether that be your career or your children. Um, or, you know, you name it, fill in the blank. Um, ultimately, that is not going to uh, fulfill us. One day, we're going to perhaps lose our jobs, or we'll retire. Our children will go older and not need us. Our health, our youthful beauty, they'll all fade. The only thing that can give us eternal value, significance, identity, is God. He offers us living water. So when we're going to these other things, it's like drinking soda, which tastes really good in the moment. Um, They might satisfy or mask your thirst. But ultimately, if you're only drinking soda all the time, you are going to get sick. Um, It is not going to ultimately satisfy your thirst. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, um, famously wrote these words. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud plies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. God is offering us living water, true satisfaction, um, but we are too easily pleased. The Exodus passage continues, for I, your Lord, is a jealous God. Again, it says, I, your Lord, because God is establishing his relationship with us. Um, God is not jealous in the way that we think of jealousy. He's not envious or de- or suspicious or distrustful in that way. He is jealous because it's an, this is an, um rightful attribute um, of him demanding our exclusive devotion. God's zealousness in this is consistent with his character and being because he alone is deserving of our honor and glory and praise. Um, anytime we give that to Anything else, lesser than, that is not worthy of our heart's devotion, we are worshiping idols. Um, and God is rightfully jealous because he deserves our wholehearted devotion. He alone. The second part of verse 5 and verse 6 contain a warning and a blessing. Now, I don't exactly know what this means, but I like the translation um, from the New International Reader's version in these verses, and so I'm going to read that to you. It says, I cause the sins of parents to affect their children. I cause the sins of those who hate me to affect their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But for all time to come, I show love to those who love me and keep my commandments. So according to this translation, God isn't punishing children directly for the sins of their parents, but if we don't deal with idolatry in our generation, we will pass it down to our children and their children um, because kids learn um, how to handle life by watching their parents. Um, And God will hold children accountable who don't learn from their parents' mistakes. It's the responsibility of every generation to not repeat the mistakes of their, those that came before them. I don't want you to miss the contrast between verse 5 and verse 6. Um, While well, verse 5 talks about general generational accountability lasting for three to four generations, it says, God will show love to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commands. And that reveals God's heart to want to bless. He wants to bless us so much. Um, Now, do you know what happens um, when Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from God? What's happening below at the foot of the mountain? They are actually violating the Second Commandment already. The people go to um, Aaron um, and say, go. Can you come and make gods that will go before us? And so Aaron says, give me your gold earrings. And he makes a golden calf out of that. And the people are worshiping this carved image. Um, you guys, this this is like um, if you just had a wedding and you went on this amazing honeymoon, you're barely back from your honeymoon and you cheat on your spouse. Like that's what it's like. The The Israelites had been rescued just three months earlier. Um, out of slavery, the party of the Red Seas, all of it. And now they are worshiping a golden calf. Like, what's going on? Um, but before we judge them too harshly, I want to ask, how many times have we done the same thing? How many times have we experienced God's faithfulness and then um, not too long after that, we're like we're tired of waiting, God. Like um, I don't know how this is going to work out for me, so I'm just going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to um, trust in my own what I can do, myself, my own efforts, um, and put my 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 dependence on 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 that. Um, God and Moses. Uh, coming down the mountain are understandably mad. Moses throws down the tablets, shattering them into a lot of pieces. Um, There are consequences for the people's idolatry, but then God graciously inscribes a second set of Ten Commandments, and then he reaffirms his covenantal commitment to this rebellious people. Listen to these beautiful words. Of how God describes himself in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I want you to pause for a moment and think about the significance of what God is doing here. Despite his people's um, rebellious hearts, God is affirming his unfailing, covenantal love to these people. And the Hebrew word he uses here for love and faithfulness is hesed. This is a word that is um, used 250 times in the Old Testament Theologians believe that this might be the sig- most significant word in all of Scripture. And yet there is no single word in English that can capture um, the meaning of this. It's so all-encompassing. Um, and so it's untranslatable in English. One of the best ways that I've heard to describe Hesed love is from Ann Voskamp in The Waymaker. And she says, um, describes chesed love this way the forever covenantal, always unconditional, unwavering, loyal, kind love of inseparable bonding, of divine family, of eternal attachment. That's what chesed love is, attachment love. I'm going to read that one more time forever covenantal, always unconditional, unwavering, loyal, kind love of un- inseparable bonding, of divine family, of eternal attachments, attachment love. And this set of verses from verse 6 and 7 of chapter 34 is actually the most commonly recurring verses in the Bible. And I believe this is because they capture the essence of God's character, the core of God's character is chesed. And it's like God is reminding his people over and over again of who he is, even though they will um, turn away from him. They will continue to violate the first and second commandments. They will will keep worshiping other gods. um, But God is, is constantly reminding them, hey, I am your God, the God who rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. I am your God who loves you. You are my beloved, my treasured possessions. Um, And so God continues to send prophet after prophet, giving them the same message. They don't listen, and ultimately, God sends his son, his one and only son, Jesus, to redeem us from all of our sins. Church of the Beloved. I want you to receive this from God's top two for you this morning. I am the Lord your God who carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I have drawn you with cords of loving kindness. Um, I am the great I am. I am your one and only, the one worthy of all of your worship. You are my beloved, my treasured possession. You don't need to keep striving after all the other things. For security or value, they'll only disappoint you. I know all of your needs. Come and rest in my deep, passive love for you. Devote your heart wholly to me, the one who is holy. Let me pray for us. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB sermon podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.